0: Keep your Bibles open at Luke 22, page 881 in the Blue Bibles. Luke 22. Let me pray quickly. Our Father, we gather once more under the shelter of Christ. We gather in Him. We come before you. We come before the great throne, the holy throne, and find it a throne of grace. A throne of welcome, a throne of love for all in your son. Turn our eyes to him now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 In, um, In one of his letters, the Apostle Paul said that the great goal of his life was to know Jesus, that I may know him, he said. That was what Paul wanted more than anything else in life, to know Jesus. A little later this evening, we're going to take communion. And uh, often when we take communion, we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, which reminds us of Jesus's words, that when we eat the bread, when we drink the cup of communion, we should do so in remembrance of him. But I wonder if you've sometimes maybe done what I've sometimes done, and heard Jesus's words as, do this in remembrance, of what I've done for you. We see the bread and the wine, we think of his body, his blood, we think of the cross, and it's certainly right to remember what Jesus did for us. It's right to remember the cross. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. Jesus, thank you for the cross. But do this in remembrance of me, is what he said. Now we cannot think rightly of Jesus apart from his cross, but we do want to remember him as a person, not just as the sacrifice for our sin on the cross. We can sometimes drift towards thinking of Jesus functionally only, if I can say it that way. The role he played, the job that he did. We can drift towards thinking of Jesus as something like the currency of a great transaction. His body and blood paid the price. True, but there is also a me to be known and to be loved in the call, do this in remembrance of me. What a wonder it is that the eternally begotten Son of God wants to be known by you and by me. So this evening in this passage in Luke, and without parting Christ from his cross, I want us to see the me, the person, Jesus, who went to the cross. Um, Our passage moves along in three scenes that very helpfully all begin with the letter P. Plot, preparations, and Passover. From verse one to verse six, Luke tells us about a plot from verses seven to 13 of preparations, and from verse 14 to 22 of the Passover meal. Plot, preparations, and Passover. We're going to watch these three scenes with the question in our minds, who is Jesus? Who is he? What is he like? Who is the one we will remember later in communion? So we'll start with the plot. It was Passover week in Jerusalem. The city overflowed with visitors, both those who'd come to celebrate the festival and those who'd come to town to profit off the crowds. Luke tells us in chapter 21 from verse 37 that every day Jesus was teaching in the temple. And we can read what he taught during that week, chapters 20 and 21 of Luke's gospel. He taught about the kingdom of God, He taught that he was God, and the Son of God. He spoke of his death, his resurrection. He foretold the fall of Jerusalem, and his own return in a cloud with power and great glory. And his teaching drew the crowds. From early each morning, all the people gathered to the temple to hear him. But something else was also happening that week. Jesus had violently rebuked the corruption of the temple and he was not at all subtle in his condemnation of the corrupt religious leaders of the day. And so we read at the end of chapter 19, verse 47, the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. In fact, opposition had been growing um, since the beginning of his public ministry. The first time Jesus taught in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, the people tried to kill him. The scribes and the Pharisees had constantly criticized and undermined him. They even tried to trick him into saying or doing something that would get him into trouble. All the way back in chapter 11, Luke tells us that the religious leaders were lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. In chapter 20, verse 19, they sought to seize him by force, and when they could not, they tried to manipulate the Roman authorities to do their dirty work for them. They wanted him dead. Maybe that's why Jesus left the city before nightfall each evening. It was too dangerous for him to be in Jerusalem after dark. We could add up more of more examples of it from Scripture, but the point is that Jesus was hated and Jesus was hunted. In fact, Jesus was hated and hunted much further back than the early chapters of Luke's Gospel. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, God had foretold the ultimate destruction of of the great serpent Satan when he said, a child of Eve will one day crush your head. And from that afternoon in the garden to this night in Jerusalem, Satan had hated and hunted the child of Eve. We see the ongoing hunt in Cain's murder of Abel. We see it again when Pharaoh ordered the murder of all the baby boys of the Hebrews in Egypt. We see it again when Herod ordered the murder of all the baby boys of Bethlehem. And wherever Jesus is preached today, he is still hated and he is still hunted. Nothing and nobody is hated in the media, in the schools of this country, in our universities, at every level of social and cultural power, like Jesus is hated. Wherever he exposes the hypocrisy of sinful hearts, the lust for power, the evil of self-seeking at the expense of others, Jesus remains hated and hunted. Our Savior, our Good Shepherd, the one of whom the Father said, Behold him behold him, in whom my soul delights. Our dearest friend, Jesus, is... A hated and a hunted man. And as we come to the communion table later, part of what it means to identify with him, to express our oneness with him, is to say, We love the hated man. Jesus was hated, he was hunted, and he was betrayed. I think it was three Sundays ago. Um, We were in our morning series through 1 Corinthians. And it fell to me in the allocation of passages to to cover the section in chapter 11 where Paul talks about communion. And especially where he rebukes the Corinthian church for some of the things they were doing wrong around their taking of communion. And I I was preparing for that. Something Paul said in that passage really caught hold of me. I wonder if you'd turn in your Bibles to... If you're in the Blue Bible, page 958, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's just one verse, but there's something there that I want you to see with your own eyes. Page 958, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I, that's the Apostle Paul, received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Pause there for a moment. Paul received from the Lord that which he taught to the Corinthians. In his letters to the um, Galatian and Philippian churches, Paul tells us a bit more about his encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. In Galatians 1 verse 11, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus. Now, follow the logic with me carefully. What Paul taught the Corinthians about this night in Luke chapter 22, he received from Jesus. Now, let's carry on in verse 23, 1 Corinthians 11. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed. How did Jesus remember that night? It was marked in his memory, not as my last night before the cross, not as my last supper with my friends, not even as the final Passover, no. That night was marked in Jesus's memory as the night I was betrayed. The hatred and the hunt that had spanned all the ages of the world since the garden had found its object. The child of Eve was in reach. And and in Judas, it had found an accomplice. And Jesus was betrayed into the hands of darkness. Back in Luke chapter 22 now, from verse three. Then Satan entered into Judas. Notice, not a demon, Satan himself. Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was a number of the 12. He went away, conferred with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray Jesus to them. They were glad, agreed to give him money, so he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. And again, in verse 21 and 22, hear Jesus's words. The hand of him who betrays me is with me at the table. The son of man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Jesus remembered this night as the night he was betrayed. Judas was one of the 12. He had lived with Jesus for three years. Jesus washed his feet at the table that night. And with a kiss and for 30 pieces of silver, Judas betrayed the one who had loved him like no one else ever had loved him. Betrayal is a deeply personal thing. Psychologists tell us that there is perhaps nothing as hurtful and as damaging to a person as deliberate betrayal by a loved one. Jesus knows the deepest of all our pains and deeper still. The fact that even after his resurrection, he still marked that night as the night he was betrayed Jesus is not currency in a divine transaction. He is a man who can be and was afflicted with the pain of betrayal. Hated as no man ever has been hated. Hunted with a venom that no hunt has ever matched. Touched with the pain of betrayal deeper than any other. For truer than any other was his love. This is who we come to remember. This is our Jesus. So we come to the second scene, preparations. Jesus knew what was in Judas's heart, so he took careful precautions that night. We see how in verse eight, Jesus sent Peter and John to make preparations for the evening meal. But notice the instructions he gave in verse 10. When you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters. He didn't give an address or even a name or even directions to the house, let alone Google Maps. But Jesus knew that Judas was listening. And that Judas was working with the religious leaders to have him killed. And he knew that the time of the Passover meal that evening would be when they would come for him if they could find him. It would be the perfect opportunity. In the past, the only thing, humanly speaking, that had stopped them taking Jesus by force was the fact that they were afraid of the crowds that flocked to Jesus. But on Passover night, all those crowds would be behind closed doors, huddled in small groups around the Passover meal. The streets would be empty and dark. They could have done their wicked deed in secret. Had they known where Jesus was that night, they would have come for him. But Jesus made preparations to conceal his whereabouts for a few more hours. He knew what was coming, but the events of the night ahead and of the next morning would unfold according to his timetable, not theirs. Verse 22 of Luke 22, all would unfold as it had been determined. It would all happen according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. This night would unfold exactly according to the eternal covenant between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Judas did not set the agenda. The scribes and the priests did not set the agenda. Satan himself did not set the agenda. Isaiah 46 from verse nine, I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. My counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. Jesus would not let the betrayer give him the evil kiss until the prophecy of Psalm 41 had been fulfilled. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. He would give his life, but he would do so on his terms, in his time. At the very very time the next day, when the people were celebrating God's saving grace by offering a lamb as a sacrifice for sin, Jesus would offer himself as the Passover lamb for the sins of the elect. Jesus the hated, Jesus the hunted, Jesus who was betrayed, is Jesus the sovereign Lord of history, and all things are in his hands? Not long after that night, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, some of the believers were put in prison for preaching the gospel. We read about it in Acts chapter 4. They were released from prison the next day, and uh, the church gathered to pray, and Luke records. Uh, their prayer from verse 23 of Acts 4. If you want to turn there, it's page 912, but I will read it for you. Why did the Gentiles rage, they quoted, from Psalm 2 in their prayer? Why did the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. See, they recognized in their prayer that all the plotting of the powers of the world and of hell could only ever achieve what the Lord had predestined to take place. Jesus, the hated, the hunted, Jesus, the betrayed, is Jesus, the sovereign Lord. And so listen to how they continued their prayer. Acts 4, verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants, grant to us, to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And we can read on in Acts how the Lord answered their prayer. And friends, this is great comfort to us. As we identify with Jesus in communion, we attract the hatred and the hunting of the world under the sway of the evil one. You see, we don't just remember Jesus as a bare fact Our remembering is not just a cognitive thing. By eating the bread of his body, by drinking the wine of his blood, we take him in. We express our oneness with him. We say, Jesus, your story is my story. Let let your life take shape in my life. Let the hatred and the hunting, and in some cases, maybe even the betrayal that you suffered fall also on me. But just as his sovereignty overruled all those things in his story, so his sovereignty overrules all those things for those in him. We can hear it in Jesus' own teaching in Matthew chapter 10 from verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master, It's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign you of his household? But have no fear of them. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. His sovereignty overrules everything that touches you. And just as Jesus felt the pain of betrayal, so he delights in the loyalty of those who love him. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Jesus the hated, Jesus the hunted, Jesus who knew the pain of betrayal, Jesus the sovereign Lord, Who loves and is touched by the loyalty of those who love him. Scene three, Passover. While outside in the dark corners of power, the plot between man and hell for the murder of Jesus was gathering momentum, Jesus set aside a few hours for calm, communion with his disciples. They reclined at the table and Jesus spoke some of the most beautiful words ever spoken. Verse 15 of Luke 22. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. These words reveal something very lovely about Jesus. At one level, no doubt, Jesus found comfort in the companionship of his his friends, of those he loved as he approached the cross. And even if that was all there was to it, how wonderful to think that the Son of God eagerly desires the company of those he loves. He wants to be with his friends. Think of it from his perspective. He had already loved these men for endless ages before time. They had known him for three years, but he had known them from eternity. Jesus loved these men. And he looked at their faces around the table that evening with a heart overflowing with love for them. Some of us struggle with the idea that God tolerates us. He's kind of obliged to accept us because of the cross, but it's just acceptance, it's just tolerance. At best, maybe a kind of mild pleasure. (laughs) Christian, don't you know, in love he predestined you? Before the ages began, Father, Son, and Spirit have loved you In Christ, from eternity past. Don't you think that Jesus, who has loved you from eternity past, who is praying for you at the right hand of the Father this very moment, also longs with the deepest and the purest of human affections to take your hands one day, to look into your face and say, welcome home, friend. Jesus, the hated, the hunted, who felt the pain of betrayal, who loves the loyalty of his friends, Jesus the sovereign. Is Jesus your friend who looks forward to putting his arm on your shoulder one day? And if that were all his words in verse 15 showed us it would be enough, but there is more. He longed to eat this Passover with them. You see, this was the last of all Passovers. All the Passovers of 1,500 years since the Exodus, every single one of them pointed forward to this final Passover. After the next day, the ritual would no longer be needed because the reality it had pointed towards had arrived. And what had the Passover always pointed forward to? Well, Jesus tells us in his own words, verse 19 of Luke 22, this is my body, which is given for you. This is why the Lord had always uh, commanded Old Testament Israel to keep the Passover and all the religious ceremonies of the Mosaic Covenant. This is why the Lord raised up prophets to rebuke the people when they dishonored those ceremonies. Those ceremonies were precious to the Lord, why? Because all of them pointed forward to these hours when Jesus would look his beloved friends in the eyes and say to each one of them, me for you. That's what all of it meant. That's what all the long centuries pointed towards, my body given for you. And this is why ultimately Jesus cannot be known and he would not be known apart from his cross. Jesus is the hated, the hunted, who suffered the pain of betrayal. He is the sovereign Lord, but ultimately he is the savior of his people. And do you know, brothers and sisters in Christ, that Jesus delighted to give himself for you. We could make the case airtight if we had time to explore some other places in scriptures, but we can see it in this passage as well. This is my body given for you, he said, given. No one takes my life from me, Jesus said. I lay it down of my own accord. No one takes anything from the sovereign Lord. All he gives, he gives because he delights to give it. The cup that is poured out for you, verse 20, is the new covenant in my blood. Poured out. Not measured out milliliter by milliliter with a little pipette so as not to waste a single drop. Poured out. Generously given. Willingly given. Holding nothing back. When Jesus said, me for you, He delighted in the giving of himself. He delighted to hold nothing back. He delighted to give the full measure, all he had, his own body and blood, his life to the last. And Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said to them, this is my body which is given for you, me for you, dear friend. Do this in remembrance of me. In, uh, in a little while, James will lead us in remembering him. So let's remember him, not just what he did, but who he is. Our Jesus was and is hunted, hated, Our Jesus suffered the pain of betrayal. Our Jesus is sovereign, unmoved by the schemes of men. The determined will of the eternal covenant unfolds by his hand. Our Jesus longs for the company and for the touch of his friends. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus delights to look each one of his beloved in the face and say me for you, dear friend.